You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of the lands we record this podcast on, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, as well as the Wanarua and the Gamilaroi people. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures. From Mamma Mia, hi, I'm Claire Murphy. Welcome to The Quickie, getting you up to speed daily. As we prepare to honour those who serve our country and those who've lost their lives protecting our freedoms this Anzac Day, we sometimes forget that there's a huge number of people who, when these men and women go into battle in the name of Australia, are more affected than most, their families. Like the biggest fear is, is he going to come home and when is he going to come home? Today, we speak to two military spouses about what life is really like when the person you love is sent away for the greater good, not knowing if they'll return. When Karen was a young woman, she headed to Australia to study. She says that younger version of herself was carefree and ready to take on the world. She was doing her master's at the University of Sydney and she was going to be a coastal manager and explore the world. As you can tell from my accent, I'm from the US. I was over here doing my master's and just living life to the fullest and taking advantage of every opportunity that came my way. So I didn't have too much of a perspective on where my life was going besides being at the beach. One day, a dashing young Navy boy crossed her path. They fell in love and got married. While Karen knew that being the spouse of someone in the Defence Force wasn't going to be all smooth sailing, she didn't realise just how tough it would turn out to be. I knew there would be difficulties in terms of distance or him being deployed. So I, I understood that, but I didn't understand the stress and the expectation put upon you as a military spouse that you really take up a lot. Mental load times 10 is probably a really great place to start. We get our posting. You start trying to figure out where you're going to live at that posting. Um, Navy bases tend to be on the ocean, which currently in Sydney is a very hefty rental market. You're dealing with uprooting yourself in your career. It's that stress of finding a home that's suitable, that's not over-the-top expensive. We do have defence housing, which helps, but those are very few and far between. Or you can go into rental assistance. But yes, trying to find that spot where you're going to be happy, your family's going to be happy. You're trying to pack up your life for the hundredth time. And yes, defence pays for removalists, so they get to do all the hard packing up, but you're still packing your life up for the umpteenth time. And I think, I don't know, some study somewhere (laughs) said that, you know, one of the most stressful things in life is moving. We'll try doing that three times in the last 10 years. There are instances, and it's happened to us, where you get crash posted, where something happens, there's a big gap, your spouse fits that gap. And so they say, they tap him on the shoulder and say, we need you in Perth for a possibly six month deployment because you fit that gap. And that can happen in a week. Often, many military spouses have this where they are MWDU, members with dependents unaccompanied. So at one point we decided I'm staying put. So we were going to try a year of him going to his posting down in Melbourne. And then he would travel home every other weekend. 
So that means I'm working full time, solo parenting, managing all the house stuff, the cleaning, everything. After a year of that, that wasn't working for us and decided to not do that in the next posting move with him. And it's not just Karen who's struggling with military life. Their kids are also caught up in the spin of it too. Uh, there's a lot of panic phone calls to daycare centres and schools. <laughs> so now that both the boys are in school, it's not as difficult. Daycares, there was a lot of just picking up the phone and having a conversation with the director. Like if we knew we were going to be in a certain place, I would just pick up the phone and have conversations with them. And most of the time they had allowances for military kids. Not so much in Sydney, but in other posting locations. But it is really difficult for the kids to leave their friends. Even when my youngest was two and we moved, you could just really feel him not wanting to make friends in the new location because he lost the friends in the old location. You struggle with how they handle that. Yeah, my oldest, this last posting, he hasn't made a lot of new friends because he's gone into a community where everyone's known each other since they were babies. Lots of people understand what it's like to have their partner work away. For example, there's a large group of fly-in, fly-out workers in Australian mining communities. But for Karen and her family, it could mean almost zero contact for months at a time. So the last time he was at sea, which unfortunately coincided with lockdown, we didn't get hardly any communication because they were on a bit of a a mission, I guess to put it. (laughs) And they weren't allowed to communicate too much from the ship. And so you'd be lucky to get an email every three or four days. It was difficult for me prior to kids. I can understand it. When you have kids, they just don't understand why they're not hearing from their dads. And you have to have lots of difficult conversations with them about what he's doing, helping protect Australia. And, you know, you glorify him a bit in that regard. This last time he was at sea, He started emailing my son directly, my oldest son, because he had an email account finally. And that actually worked really, really well. Like the biggest fear is, is he going to come home? And when is he going to come home? Karen has had to give up that career she came to Australia to study for in the first place. And that change in her future path has been difficult to come to terms with. That's probably been my biggest struggle. And I'm lucky now I've found myself in a career. I work for the Australian government at the moment and... I am able to, when we post to different places, my job can move with me. So I've been lucky enough to find a job that is happy with me working remotely, switching different office locations. Uh, It's not exactly my ideal job, but I think I'm very good at it and happy to do it. But in terms of a social life, it is very difficult. I have lots of friends, but hardly any of them live near me (laughs) because of when we post away or they post away. There's a very strong, you know, military community, but we're always on the move. I'm very good at talking on the phone and messaging and I have about a thousand WhatsApp groups (laughs) with friends, try to keep that social buzz alive. But, you know, right now we're really lucky. My husband's posted ashore, so he's at a base in Sydney. So it's kind of like a regular job, like a nine to five. So I can run away for the weekend with some friends at the moment. I can do those things. Um, much different when he's on a ship and I kind of have to be not at the ready. But, you know, like if things go, he, he might not come home at the end of the day for whatever reason. So, yeah. Military life is undoubtedly tough on those who sacrifice their time and sometimes their lives for the greater good of Australian security and freedom. 
But for those families who are left behind to keep the home fires burning, it can lead to some very real issues. Beck Rayner is the founder of Military Life, a community of military spouses who celebrate their strength, build connections and provide each other with support and information. She has herself been married to a military member for 19 years. Beck, what kind of things can military families face when dealing with the life they live? There are a lot of challenges that come along with military life that the wider community just doesn't understand or, or even know about. It's this unspoken rule, and because we are an underrepresented and misunderstood cohort within the community, it's very hard for us to make any meaningful progress in being supported and acknowledged the way that we need when the wider community, one, are only exposed to this narrative that we are the dutiful partners and families who just get on with it. We're resilient, we're adaptable, and we sacrifice for the good of the nation. And two, the wider community also don't know about the challenges we face specific to being military partners and families. But some of those challenges include what comes with moving every two to three years, the the mental and physical load we carry because of that uncertainty and that transient lifestyle, having to leave employment and find employment again and again, having to make friends and leave friends again and again. We have a higher unemployment rate than the wider community. We we are often underemployed or unemployed. We have huge gaps in our careers. We have huge gaps in our super. Long service leave is impossible to get when you move every few years. Maternity leave entitlements are often lost if we we move with the military member. There is often unspoken bias by employers not wanting to employ military partners because we move every few years. Kids' education is impacted because we don't have a national curriculum and they are often either behind or ahead depending on where they're moving from and moving to. Defence kids are disconnected from one parent due to separation or deployment and all that's required of the military member. Defence kids have a higher rate of anxiety, behaviour issues due to uncertainty and change. Defence housing isn't always in the area that we want our children to go to school in. We will often move to an area and not even have defence housing available yet for us, so we will need to live in temporary accommodation, which means a hotel, for months and months until defence housing becomes available. Our stuff often gets lost or damaged when we move, and I'm not talking like, you know, one box. I'm talking like whole couches get lost and just are never found again. We have mental health challenges due to the nature of defence life. Defence families, obviously, and defence members and military members face increased risk when it comes to mental health and PTSD and all that they are required to do because of their job. We have a higher rate of relationship breakdown because of the military lifestyle. We have extra risk factors, and this is a big one when it comes to domestic violence, Partners are often financially dependent on the military member and more likely to be financially abused or controlled. We are often away from our friends and family and isolated from any support. There are extra risk factors with reporting domestic violence to police because it can impact a military member's career. They can have their weapons taken away from them. They can, you know, their job can change because of that. They can be discharged from the military. So we have that extra pressure not to report domestic violence. There are so many challenges that military partners face and the wider community just don't see that. They see, I guess they have some misconceptions about what 
military life entails that, you know, oh, you have this job where they get paid lots of money and you get free rent. And there are benefits, obviously, to military life, but those benefits, we have to weigh them up with the challenges that we also face and obviously helping the wider community to understand those challenges. So, Beck, talk to me about the importance of the community that you've created of military spouses. Just how big a role does it play in making sure that people are supported through times where they're finding it really tough? Yeah, so I guess I've been a military spouse for 19 years myself and my first 10 years as a spouse, I didn't feel part of a community or that I fit in any of the locations that we posted to. And then once I moved to the New South Wales South Coast, I decided to really throw myself into the military community as basically a last-ditch effort, really, because I needed to find a way to continue living military life. My husband and I were on the path to separation, basically. We'd lived many years apart because of military life, and it felt like I had a part-time marriage and it just wasn't working. And what I found once I waved that white flag and put my hand up for help was this supportive group of people that I didn't even know I was missing in my life. I finally felt part of something. I felt understood and heard. I felt supported and connected in a way that not even the military member, my husband, could understand because he is having a totally different experience living military life because he's the military member and he is having that experience and I'm a spouse having a totally different experience. So suddenly I felt like I could take on anything military life threw at me because I had found others that were in the same situation. But I then started to wonder what if there are spouses out there who haven't found this, who are struggling like I was for those first 10 years and they didn't know how long they could continue living military life, feeling so isolated and alone. So I decided to start this community because often the focus is on the military member and the sacrifices they make. And rightly so, they sign up to protect our country and do whatever is needed of them. But I wanted to tell the stories and focus on the people left behind, those people that are waving goodbye at the wharf and waiting months and months for their return. and those people who move around the country, leaving jobs and friends and family every two years. I wanted those people who were feeling disconnected and isolated and alone to experience what I had found, which is why I built this community. So everyone else could feel that connection within the community and feel like they could continue living military life with others by their side who just got it. Has your husband or the spouses of the people in your community made it clear how important you are as their support network back at home? Definitely. Like when military spouses become a military spouse, we don't get a manual. The defence member is the one or the military member is the one that is signing up to protect the country and and therefore they are the employee of the Department of Defence. We are just seen as this add-on that comes along with the military member. And so often we aren't seen as an important piece of the puzzle. The focus is not on the needs of the military partner or the military families, despite the fact that military members often leave the military because of family reasons. So, you know, in order for the families and the partners to be supported, that can only be a good thing for 
the military member and the Department of Defence in general because it means that that military member can go away knowing that their partner and their family is supported and looked after and is going to be there waiting for them when they return and feel like they can continue living the military life. So on Monday, when you attend a dawn service, or when you see those images from Anzac Cove, remembering those who've fallen and the heroes who still stand up and fight for us today, maybe also take just a second to remember that there's a huge amount of people back home who we need to thank for their support too. This episode of The Quickie was produced by myself, Claire Murphy, and our executive producer, Siobhan Moran-McFarlane, with audio production by Jacob Round. If you have teens or kids of any age, check out our Mamma Mia podcast, Stablemate, Help, I Have a Teenager. Hosted by experts Dr Ginny Mansberg and Joe Lamble, they tackle some sometimes super tough topics. We've got a question from Anonymous. Hi, Joe and Ginny. I need your help. My 17-year-old daughter has just found out that she's pregnant. She came and told me, and I tried to stay as calm as possible, but now I keep thinking back to my reactions and I'm wondering that I did it wrong. Should I have been angrier? Should I have been disappointed? What's the best thing to do in these situations? This is all of us mums. Every time we have any discussion with our kids, we go back and give ourselves mm. anxiety over we should have done it this way, we should have done it that way. That's the mother guilt that starts when they come out and continues, I think, until we are no longer on this planet. Check out Help I Have a Teenager in your favourite podcast app now. Listener.